Good morning. Like Paul said, my name is Jeff. I've been in this position as the young adult director for about two months now. Um, before that, I was interning here as a college intern for about a year, and I've been part of this church community for about almost four years now, and I'm just really honored to be here today to be able to speak. Um, so I do want to get into the word. Um, if you have your Bibles, if you can open those to John 14. And we'll read a little bit and then we can pray and um, get into some stuff that uh, Jesus has been sharing and kind of um, pushing me and challenging me into these past couple weeks. So John 14, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And this is just hours, actually, before he was arrested and then crucified. And he's kind of telling them about the Holy Spirit. And there's this concept that they still don't really get. He's trying to explain this is who the Spirit is. Um, so we're going to pick up in 1425 and I'll read and then we can talk a lot, a little bit about it. So John 1425 says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all these things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace. I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the price of this world. I'm sorry for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, um, anything that comes from me, I ask that uh, my friends would quickly forget um, anything that comes from you, that that would stick that would plant and that would grow and that we would be able to live into the fullness um, of the life that you've called us to in your name we pray jesus amen Amen. so a little bit about me i grew up in arizona so i'm a zoni i think some of you are too um and i while i was like in around high school my parents bought a house that was more in the i don't know kind of like in the boonies like in the desert area well Pretty much everywhere is desert, but kind of away from the city. So um, my dad would like to work around the yard. That was kind of like his way of relaxing. And every time he was just cleaning up and working in the yard, he would find we'd find all these critters, like all these animals, like scorpions and tarantulas and rattlesnakes and you know everything you find in the desert. And he would find them, and sometimes sometimes they were like too dangerous, he would kill them or or you know put them somewhere else. And I was home from college, and um, he was, I was out and about. I forgot what I was doing. But then he was kind of cleaning the yard, and he, he, started to, he, was, he started to get these critters, and he put them in this big, like, glass pickle jar. And he just started throwing them in there. And, um, and then he put them in my room, so when I got there, I would, you know, check them out. And I was, you know, I was used to seeing them all around, but... So he tells me when I get home, hey, check your room. I got a surprise for you. So I go in my room, 
And I'm, there's this big jar, so I pick it up, and the jar has like two or three scorpions in there, has a tarantula, and it has this thing, I don't know if you know what it is, a centipede. Now, if you don't know what a centipede is, be thankful that you live in San Diego, because I don't think they exist around here, they're probably extinct. But in Arizona, man, they're everywhere. And um, if you don't know what they are, the best way that I can explain a centipede is kind of a caterpillar um, came together with a spider or a scorpion that came together with death. And it was just like made this child in hell. And it's just like the most vicious, most ridiculously disgusting thing you've ever seen. And this one specifically was like this big. It was like a foot long. And it was it was crazy. So I'm looking into this jar and um, all the other animals are kind of gaining up on the centipede. Um, but this centipede is just kind of wrapping itself around the other ones and single handedly destroying them, like crushing them. And I'm just like, what is this? This is so weird. So once it's like done with all the other animals, like it turns to me and it's just like this very sudden movement. And I, I'm like holding the jar. I'm like, ah, so I drop the jar. Glass breaks, centipede is coming towards me, and it's like coming up my leg, and I'm just like, ah, screaming like a child, run out, go get my dad. By the way, like I said, I'm home from college, so I'm like about 20, 21 years old. I get grown man by this point, you know? So I'm like, <laughs> I come back with my dad, and I have, you know, my, a broom in one hand, and I have a, a, like, bug or killer spray on the other, I'm trying to find it, and it's nowhere to be found. And so we look, you know, we turn over the beds, we look under the closet and the, cl- and the drawers, everywhere. Centipede is not there. Um, so, as you would assume, I had, had a little bit of trouble sleeping in my room for, let's just say, a few days. Um, and I had trouble um, uh, going, uh, taking a shower, because I was sure that it was waiting for me in there. And I had... Trouble sitting on the toilet, because I was sure it was like... <laughs> now I had trouble, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be barefoot around the house, because I knew it was like out to get me, but at the same time I didn't want to put in my shoes, because I knew it was in there. So it just completely paralyzed me. I was so afraid of this thing. Uh, I couldn't function like I usually do, because I knew that he was there. All he wanted to do was to kill me, find that right moment to just strike and eat my face off. My face off. Right. And it just completely um, uh, paralyzed me and I couldn't do anything about it. So um, we never did find that centipede. I don't know what happened to it. It probably just left. But I was still in my head. It's around. It's waiting for the right moment. And I and I tell this story and I humiliate myself (laughs) a little bit. But because in our life. There are key obstacles that keep us from living into full life with God. And fear is a very, very big one. Um, Fear is so latent and it's so around us. And we usually don't even recognize how much of our life is ruled and controlled by our fear. Um, It runs our second to second, our minute to minute affects our everyday lives. So as I look around the room, I see that um, all of us chose to wear clothes today. Right. I think so. And uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say thank you for doing that this morning. But even as some of you 
as you're, you know, dressing up and uh, trying to figure out what you're going to wear, you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if I look good. I wonder what other people will think when they see me wearing this. I wonder if how they will perceive me. Right. And we have like this constant, like worrying, constant fear of what other people's opinions are. And if we are, are going to measure up to their expectations, am I overdressed? Am I underdressed? Um, even in the conversations that we have every day, the people that you talked to this morning and they ask you, how are you doing? And you're thinking, what, man, what should I say? Should I really tell them how I'm doing? Do they really want to know? What if they really did know how I was doing? What if I really did open up to this person and said, hey, this is where I'm at. Would would they accept me? Would they care? You know, and it's all this fear that's constantly, constantly there and and controlling the ways that we engage, the the ways that we relate, the ways that the decisions that we make every day. And we um, we're constantly afraid and we've gotten so used to being this way. We worry about being safe all the time. If you see our ads, if you see our commercials on TV, you see the products that we have, so many of them are, have to do with being or at least feeling safe. And they'll say, like, you need more of this and you need better of that. And let us tell you how afraid you are of X so that we can sell you Y. Right? Ironically, we live in constant fear of living in constant fear. We do. It's just part of our lives. And the American public right now is dominated by fear. Dominated. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're kind of in a political um, cycle right now. And there's like an election going on. You might have heard about it. I don't know. But um, it's crazy out there. Uh, And pundits on all sides of the political divide realize that there is fear in the public and they tap into that fear and they exploit that fear and they use that fear to further their own agenda. Right. They all do this and they'll say, you should be afraid of this. Look at this. Be afraid of that. Hey, be afraid of this. But vote for me. Um, And if you begin to give room to that fear, it completely, completely takes a hold of you. It paralyzes you just like it par- like my fear for that thing paralyzed me. That's what it does to us. Um, we begin to build walls around our lives that will keep us, will keep everything and every everyone out. And I think deep inside we all know that a life that's actually worth living is one that ruthlessly evaluates and takes on our fears. Right. Because the stories that we love. So think about your favorite story, maybe your favorite book, maybe that person that you admire. So the books we like to read and the movies we like to watch, they all have to do with people. They all have to do with characters who stepped up, who overcame their fears, conquered their fears. Right. So imagine this movie. Use your imagination a little bit. Um, there's a nice man. His name is Bob. Uh, he gets a degree. I mean, he goes to college, obviously, gets a degree, and he gets a good career. <clears throat> and he marries a nice woman named Sally. And um, Bob gets incremental races every few years, about 5%. And uh, Bob and Sally have 2.2 kids. And, you know, <clears throat> they're nice, too. 
and they buy a nice house. They take a vacation every couple of years. And um, they keep getting new cars, you know, every five years or something like that. <clears throat> and they improve their home anytime they, they have the possibility to do so. And then their 2.2 kids go to college and they get careers and then they get married. And they have 2.2 kids of their own. And in the last scene, you see Bob buying a Volvo. He buys a Volvo because they're safe, right? And um, he's driving home. You just see the last scene, the um, rain on his windshield. And then the credits roll. And you're going to think, that is the most boring movie I've ever seen. What a waste of my time, right? What's interesting is that um, we invest so much money, so much energy on comfort and security, and we are all trying, in some way, the decisions that we make to, to live Bob's life. We love stories of taking on fear and overcoming obstacles, of being part of something bigger, of changing and transforming our communities, our cities, and the world into a better place, not just for ourselves, but also for everyone else, yet... We live in pursuit of Bob's life, one that doesn't ever deal with fear. and never, It's never challenged to be more than just comfortable and safe. And what's interesting is that if you ever read scripture, you realize pretty quickly that the number one command that's repeated over and over and over again is do not be afraid. And if, the, and if the Bible repeats that so many times, I think it might be important. I think this might be a big deal to God. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear keeps us from serving. It keeps us from engaging. It keeps us from believing. From being generous from deep relationships, pretty much from everything and anything that's, in, that's interesting, that's deep, that's rich, that's full, that's meaningful in your life with God. It keeps you. It doesn't let you um, engage that. And we must deal with our fear because this fear is inside of us and so much of the times our fears are not even rooted in reality, to be honest. We're afraid of things that aren't even happening. There's actually a really interesting story in Scripture about this. Um, <clears throat> do you guys remember when um, the Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, right? So God delivers a people from slavery. And this is going to be in Numbers 13 if you want to start looking it up. He delivers the people from slavery. And he promises this, them this land. This is the land that you're going to live in. I'm going to give it to you. The only problem was that there was already some other people living in that land. So Moses, who's the leader of the Israelites, sends out 12 spies, and he says, go scout the land and come back with a report of how you see it. Um, so they come back, they go, then they come back, and they say, you know, the land is beautiful. Like, it's, it's, it's plentiful, it's bountiful, it's, um, it's prosperous, it's fruitful. And then there's two spies, you might remember them, Joshua and Caleb, and they say, yes, let's take on and conquer the land that God has given us. But then the ten other spies, 
they're not so hopeful. They're actually more afraid. And in Numbers 13, 27, 33, I'm going to read it. Um, they gave this uh, account to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb, this is 30, silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim. They're the descendants of Anak that come from Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Fear distorts how we see reality. But it also makes us think that we are clairvoyant, that we can actually read other people's mind and know what they are thinking. What do you think are the odds that these spies went up to a giant and say, hey, Mr. Giant, um, just a quick question. Uh, How do you see us? Well, actually, I see you as grasshoppers. That's exactly what I was thinking that you were thinking about me. What do you think are the odds of that happening? Probably not, right? Yet, they bring this report and say, they see us like grasshoppers. They don't know that. So, um, they're spreading all these fear around the camp. And in uh, Numbers 14, just the next chapter, it says... That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, where you were slaves? Okay. And they said to each other, We should should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. You see how afraid they are? So because of the rebellion, God decides that only Joshua and Caleb were going to enter the land. The rest, meaning thousands of people, were due laps around the desert until they died. So apparently, fear is a big deal to God. It's a very big deal. And, and when he says, this is who I am. And this is who you are. And this is what I am doing. And this is what I want you to be a part of. And we say, "Uh, I don't know if I'm too afraid. When we say that, the price is way too high. At least in this story it is. Imagine being the last person who is not Joshua or Caleb in that camp after 40 years. Imagine, I mean, everyone has to die except them, right? So people are coming up to them and saying, hey, how do you feel? (laughs) I feel great. Okay, I'll come tomorrow. Anyways, um, so so they all had to die. Forty years they lapped around the desert. Forty years for a land that was already given to them by God. So 40 years later, 
All those people had died, except Joshua and Caleb. Moses is gone. Now Joshua is the leader. They're once again preparing to take over the same already promised land 40 years ago. And then Joshua, this time, only sends two spies. He learned his lesson, right? Sends two spies into the land, into the city of Jericho. And um, if you know the story, they stay in Rahab's house. She kind of hides them away from the king's um, guard, the king's uh, soldiers, so they wouldn't find them. Um, But look how interesting her account is these are the same people. The people of Jericho are the people that they were going to conquer 40 years ago. Her account is so different from the report that these other spies had brought 40 years back. So Joshua 2, 8 says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the desert, the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God is God in heaven above and then earth below. So you see how different her testimony of what actually was happening, of how actually the people were feeling towards the people of Israel is so different from what they assumed that the other people were thinking about them. It's completely different. And we sometimes do the same thing. We buy into our fears and we let our emotions get in the way and we easily Believe that we know something that we absolutely don't. And we'll say things like, well, this this person just doesn't like me. They don't care about me. They want to hurt me. They hate us. They want to take over us. They are hunting us down. They are against us. All they're thinking about is how to destroy us. Just like that centipede story of how I was thinking that the centipede was just looking for the right moment to strike and destroy me. And I was so afraid of it. Probably that centipede was more afraid of me. That's why it left so quickly. But I am, I am putting that fear and I'm letting it, you know, completely paralyze me and conquer me. And our society is so afraid right now. And no different many times is the church. The church of Jesus is afraid too. We are afraid of the world. We are afraid of other faiths. We're afraid of different sexual orientations. And we might be afraid of refugees. We might be afraid of immigrants. We might be afraid of conservatives if you're a liberal and liberals if you're a conservative. And many times the same people that we fear are actually more afraid of us because many people don't really know what Christians stand for. They know very well what we're against. We make that very clear. But what do we actually believe? What are we what is our life actually about? Many people don't know and they fear because they don't know. Um. 
if we would actually evaluate and ask, where is this fear coming from? Does it even make sense that I'm afraid? Is my perception about what is happening even the truth? Not what the media says, not what my friends say, not what my parents say, not what the American people feel, because apparently feelings are more important to us than actual facts. But what is the actual truth? Some people tell me, well, this group of people, they're all this way. And when I say group of people, put in whatever group of people. They all want to do this. And, um, and I say, well, what is, it about all your, what is it about all your immigrant friends that make you feel that they're all this way? Well, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a lot of immigrant friends. Okay, well, what is it about the few immigrant friends or, or just the one immigrant friend that makes you feel this way? Well, I mean, I don't really have any friends. Okay, well, what is it about all the people that you connect with, all the people that you know, that you work with, that you go to school with, that are immigrants, that make you feel that all of them are this way? Oh, that doesn't really happen. Well, where is that fear based on then? What you just hear from other people? If we let those constant fears overcome us and we don't take on our fear, it will swallow us and keep us from being who we are called to be and are very capable of me being. Even me. I mean, I fear all the time. I'm not exempt from this. Even what I'm doing right now, I fear this. I've, I fear that, you know, I might not be the right person for this role. I, I'm, I feel inadequate. I feel unprepared. I feel like maybe sometimes I can't really connect or speak to you, speak to my students. Am I really supposed to be here? Did Jesus really call me to this? I fear those things. I struggle with those insecurities all the time. But if I let those constant fears dictate my life, I wouldn't be here, honestly. I wouldn't dare to speak. I wouldn't have taken on this role. But I decided instead that I was going to believe, choose to believe, that Jesus did invite me to this. That he is able to speak to me, and sometimes even through me, which is crazy, I know. But he does. And now I know that confronting my fear and taking on what I fear only makes me stronger and more confident, not in myself. I'm, I'm no one, but in him and who he is and who he's calling me to be. So in John 14, just going back to John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Like I said, just a few hours before he was arrested, um, he was going to be violently beaten and crucified. His disciples were soon dispersed. And fear for their lives. And even after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, his disciples would be persecuted. They would be imprisoned. They would be stoned. Many would be beheaded, crucified, all for following this man named Jesus. (laughs) So it's interesting that Jesus says this. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. By the way, peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says that right before all this crazy stuff is about to go down. And if I was a disciple, I would have said, wait, what? Jesus, how can I not be afraid? I mean, they're literally trying to kill me. They're literally hunting us down. And you're telling me that you give me peace? I don't know if I can subscribe to that kind of peace. That, that doesn't feel like what peace in my mind should look like. But if we know the story, they actually chose to believe. And they actually chose to take on that peace. Um, Jesus is actually saying, the peace I give to you is me. My presence, my very spirit. Right now, in this body, he's telling his disciples, I can only be with you at one time. That is why my spirit will come and be in you. And it will be all around you. All the time. And you will not have to fear. You will not have to lose your hope. You won't have to love, doubt that I love you. That I care for you. That I'm for you and I'm not against you. That I am much greater than anything you can fear and anything. And you can always trust in me. He's saying, don't fear because my spirit is with you. What are you going to be afraid of? So my question to you is, and to myself, how would, how would your life and how would my life be different? How would it look like if fear just wasn't a factor? If I didn't struggle with it? If I didn't have fear? If I didn't have fear of other people's opinions? If I didn't have fear of the future? I could just trust? If I didn't have fear of not being accepted for who I am? If I didn't have fear of fail, failing or failure, if I didn't have fear of not being loved, would my, would my life look different? Would the decisions I make be different? Would I maybe um, engage more? Would I maybe serve more? Would I maybe step out even into the unknown? Jesus is saying, you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, my spirit, the power of the kingdom of God follows you everywhere you go. What are you afraid of? What is stronger than his love? To what fear is keeping you from experiencing the fullness of life that is only offered in Jesus? When we choose to believe he is the one, he is who he says he is. And he, and you are who, you, sorry, he is who he says he is, and you are who he says you are. And we choose to trust that he is with you, and he is for you, not against you, and to step into a life that's worth living even when it challenges you to take on your fears and conquer them, even your deepest fears. I want to live that life. I'm excited to live that life. 
one that doesn't hold on just to comfort and security at the expense of not living into the fullness of life with God. The fullness of the life that I was created to live, that he is leading me and inviting me into. This is only possible when we surrender our fears to the perfect love that we can only find in Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you are who you say you are. And thank you, Lord, that you are with us. You are in us. You are around us. You care deeply about us. You protect us. And that you want us to live into your fullness. Lord, all that fear we surrender over to you. Whatever it is, however it might look. That we would just choose to follow you. Choose to trust in you. Choose to not be paralyzed or brought down by our fears. But to live into your goodness and into your love and into your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name, amen.